Good morning and welcome. Thank you for being with us this morning. My name is Craig Thompson. I am the senior pastor here and it is our privilege to have you with us this morning. I'm so glad to be back. Missed you all last week, but as always, I'm so grateful that I have great confidence in the hands I can leave you in as I'm away. Uh, so, so grateful for uh, our other staff for taking care of everything and for Pastor Adam for preaching last week. Did a great job. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. We've been in the book of Acts now for quite some time, and we will be in the book of Acts until the holidays. We're going to take a break during the Christmas season, and then we'll pick back up in 2023. That's right, we're already talking about 2023. All right, if you have your Bible, uh, hopefully you've turned there. If you have your phone, you open it up there, that's fine as well. I'm going to ask you if you're able to please stand with me in honor of God's Word. I'm going to read to you these five verses from God's Word. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made to God by the church. Let's pray together. Father God, I pray that you would bring this word to life in our hearts today. That you'd work through it. Help us to realize the priorities that we should have. Help us to reorganize our life today. Father, if our priorities are out of order, I pray today would be a day, starting point for us, Lord God, to reprioritize our lives, to put our focus upon you. Father, be with us this morning. Please hide me behind your cross. Speak in spite of my weaknesses and failures. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Please be seated. What are our priorities? Now, we're going to talk primarily about priorities as a church this morning, corporately, but interwoven throughout this, we'll also speak about our individual priorities. Every once in a while as a pastor... I have someone tell me that I can't possibly understand their situation because I'm a pastor. And and because I'm a pastor, my life is so uniquely different from everyone else's. Uh, Now, I can see how from a distance you might think that I have this perfect life. I've got a wonderful wife. I've got great kids. I even have the world's greatest dog. And so when you look at my life, it would be easy to believe that everything's perfect. But several weeks ago, on a Sunday morning, I got up and I came down the stairs. And do you know what was at the bottom of my stairs? The same thing that might occasionally be at the bottom of your stairs. The dog had thrown up right there in the floor. That happens in the pastor's house. I know that's hard for some of you to believe, but it does. All sorts of things happen. Now, not only do I occasionally get that, my favorite thing is when somebody tells Angela how she couldn't possibly understand the situation that they are in because she gets to be married to me. And they tell her how wonderful and easy her life must be. If I had a husband like Craig, imagine what my life would be like. Most of y'all have probably heard her laughing across the county when somebody has said those things to her. But we're all guilty of this, aren't we? I should clarify, she's laughing because she doesn't believe it's true. I know some of y'all don't believe that, but occasionally I'm not the easiest human to live with. 
But you know, we're all guilty of this, aren't we? We're all guilty of believing that the grass is greener somewhere else. It, it might not be the other side of the fence. It might be the other side of the county or even the other side of the world. We, we tend to believe that it'll be easier to do this hard thing next week or next year or maybe once the kids are out of the house. How many of y'all have done this before? You've looked at a Hollywood action star and you said something like this. Well, if I had somebody to cook all my food for me, then I would eat better and I might look like that. Yeah. Yeah, there's a wife somewhere in here that just looked at her husband and said, mm-hmm. And there's a husband that looked at her and said, mm-hmm. Let me tell you a little secret. We tend to believe our priorities would change if our situation were better or worse or just different, but... Here's the definition of a priority. It's the quality or state of being prior. I was reading a book just this week, and it lamented the irony of us listing 10 or 12 different priorities. Priority, in its, at its very root, means that these are the things that are going to take place before everything else. That your priority, or, or priority is that thing that is going to get done before you even consider or contemplate doing anything else. Here's the ugly truth. Your situation will probably not change your priorities. Who you are in the good times is usually who you'll be in the hard times or the bad times. Your circumstances don't change your priorities. You change your priorities. We change our priorities. But that requires a conscious decision and a conscious effort on our part. And it's not just the conscious effort and decision to decide it, but it's the conscious effort and decision to decide it every day, over and over and over again. That this is who I am and who I am going to be. When we think about the church in Acts and the church in, at Malvern Hill right here where we are today, we've got to be focused on particular priorities. Now, the church in Acts chapter 12 had just begun to experience government-sanctioned persecution. James, the brother of John, has been killed. Peter has been imprisoned. The church is uncomfortable and nervous. They are afraid. And yet what we see in this moment in time, this snapshot is that the church of Jesus Christ in Acts was the exact same church when James was killed and Peter was arrested as it was before and as it continued to be afterward. Because this church had their priorities in order. This morning, I want us to encourage, or I want to encourage you to think about what are our priorities as a church body. And then we're going to finish by turning the tables a little bit and thinking about what your priorities are individually. The first thing this morning about our priorities that we see in this passage of Scripture is that we've got to be the church. We have to be the church. Now, Pastor Adam preached last week from the book of Acts. He talked about just in chapter 11 how then Antioch was the place where Christians were first called Christians. My favorite thing in his sermon last week is he talked about how the people must have been completely blown away when Paul came in and they said, Oh, we've got to come up with a name for these people because if they'll welcome that murderer that was killing them into their midst and there's something crazy wrong and, and just different about those people. And they began to say, Those people must be trying to be just like Jesus Christ. Folks, when we think about what it looks like 
to gather as a church body, what our priorities must be as Malvern Hill Baptist Church, we've got to be the church. The Bible says about that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. Now, I, 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 in my Bible, I kind of wish that was sort of bolded and jumped out at me. So when I read it, it just like jumped off the page. These are people who belong to the church. Now, at this time, there was just sort of the church. There weren't as many churches. We have over 50 Baptist churches, Southern Baptist churches in Kershaw County. Over 50. Listen, there was nothing like that in the first century. There was just the church. There were these people that were gathering all over, and they were just the church. And the Bible says that in this time, they began to lay hands on them. What allowed them to continue to be the church in the hard times? Well, folks, it's because they had their priorities right in the good times. We've got to be willing to be the church. What if church is more than a place? What if church is a people? I tell people often in our Next Steps class, which, by the way, meets this afternoon at 4 o'clock. If you've been visiting with us, I'd love to have you. If you've visited once or 100 times, you're interested to know a little bit more about Malvern Hill, uh, I'll meet you right here in the sanctuary at 4 o'clock, and I'll take you to where we're going to go. We're going to meet off this, this room. Uh, but that's just the next step for you if you're interested in what it might look like to be a member of Malvern Hill. But I, I tell people um, in that class often that I love this building. We moved in this building about six years ago. Now, remember, we're a little bit down today. I'm actually a little surprised. we got a lot of y'all here for a, a, fall, a fall break Sunday, so I'm really glad uh, that you're here. But we're a little bit down uh, I remember when we moved into this building six years ago. I looked around and I said these words out loud. We have built too large of a building. We'll never fill this place up. Well, now we fill it up every single Sunday with more chairs than we, like, we've run out of chairs so nobody else can come because we don't have anything to put you in. Um, that was sarcasm, but sort of. But I, I do, I love this building. It's, it's a wonderful place to preach. I preached at my home church this past Sunday. And that's not home for me anymore. This is home for me. I, I love to be here. I love the way that this building serves us. But what I tell people all the time is that if a building catches on fire and it burns to the ground, if one of those Elgin earthquakes strikes right underneath of our foundation, just crumbles this building and on top of itself, from the ashes here will rise Malvern Hill Baptist Church again because this building is not the church. These people, you all, are Malvern Hill Baptist Church. A church is a family. It's not a place. We've got to be the church. Why did the church in Acts behave the way that it did? There wasn't a social media post that went out announcing James's death and Peter's imprisonment. There were no activists or protesters. You know what there was? There was a church. A church. And a church is something unique and special and amazing. At least when church is being done the right way. See, we mess up the church in America a lot of times because we see the church as just the place that you go. I'm going to go to the church. One of the things I try very diligently in my language is to never say I'm going to the church. I may go to the church building. I may come to the sanctuary. I may go to my office or my study. But I don't go to the church. I gather with the church. Our words matter a lot. And the church is not a place where I go. A church is a family to which I belong. It's a people that I'm a part of. The church in Acts behaved the way it did because there, there, there was a church of which they were a part. When things went wrong, they gathered. They came together. They rallied the troops. They knew what was happening. See, you're called to the church, but not just to attend a place on Sunday mornings but to be the family of God right here at Malvern Hill. Right here. 
In our life group just this morning, we had just a few minutes to talk about what a privilege and blessing it is to be a part of a healthy church family. That when things start to get a little bit south, sour, sideways, bad, that you got somebody you can call upon. you got a phone number. you got a lot of phone numbers. Maybe you got a text message or a text thread. I appreciated what somebody in our life group said this morning. She said, I sent out one message to a group of people in this church and everything was taken care of immediately. Folks, that's what the church is supposed to be about. We are the church. But what do we do? Here at Malvern Hill, we like to say this. We love God, love others, and we change the world. Those are our goals. Those are our objectives in life. First, we're going to prioritize our love of the Lord. Second thing we're going to do is because we love him, we're going to love other people. And then we're going to do everything in our power to change the world around us one life at a time. But let me encourage you, please do not forget the part about loving each other. In John chapter 13, Jesus said, The world will know that you are my disciples, how by your love for one another. That's John 13, 34 and 35. By your love for one another. Folks, when the church is just a place that we come to, rather than a people to whom we belong, we forget to implement Jesus' words. The world will know that we are His by our love for one another. Do you know that love is hard and inconvenient? This past week, I went while I was in the upstate. We uh, Long story, but... I was in the upstate, uh, preached last week at my home church, was in the upstate. I went and visit an uncle of mine who is in, a, in a, a, a recovery facility. He was in a really bad traffic accident several months ago. Do you know that going to visit somebody in one of those places is not the delight of anybody's day? It's not. You go visit people in hard places because you love them, right? You inconvenience yourself for the people that you love. Listen to me. If your commitment to the church doesn't cost you anything, you aren't committed enough. If your commitment to the church doesn't cost you anything, you aren't committed enough. Now, I'm not speaking here primarily or exclusively about a financial cost. Now, I will be honest with you. Your commitment to the church is reflected in your bank balance every month. Right? We tend to give to the things that, cost, that, that, that matter to us. I tend to invest in the things that matter to me. But it's not just about your finances, is it? It's about your time. How many of you have given away time in the past month for your church family because somebody in your church family had a need? How many of you inconvenienced yourself? The things that you get the most from tend to be the things that you invest the most in. By investing in your church, you show your love for Jesus and for others. But the greater investment in the people here, the greater will be your reward. Now, I hope that you don't just do it for personal or selfish reasons. But I want you to know that when you dig into the church, when you invest in the church, there is a great reward in the privilege that you get in building the relationships, the friendships, the family-type relationships and community that you have. In knowing, as Adam said last week, that at any given time, there's a phone full of people that you could call and say, I need you today. Folks, let me encourage you to be the church. Be the church. But 
guess what? That has to happen as an individual commitment to every single one of your lives. Now, for some of you, you're like, hey, I've been here for 20 years. I got this figured out. I've been here for four years. I got this figured out. Hey, some of you have been here for four months. You got it figured out. That's pretty awesome. Some of you just don't really know what that looks like yet. Well, Craig, that sounds like a great idea, but how do I get there? This seems like a little cl closed group. I'd like to be a part, but what's, what's the on-ramp look like? Let me just tell you, the first on-ramp for you is this. Just show up and keep showing up. Develop some consistency in your life. Just keep showing up. Parents, you're trying to figure out how it is that you communicate to your children that the things of the Lord matter. Let me encourage you, just show up. Show up early. Show up for life group. Hang around a few minutes late. Get to know somebody sitting around you. You'll be surprised at how quickly that one act of just showing up gives you the opportunity to begin to get plugged in. You say, well, I want more. I want Okay, I get it. You'll get more. But you, you begin by just showing up and showing up consistently. And consistently showing up means making the church a priority. And this is what prioritizing the church looks like. It looks like this. We are going to not do other things in our life because we are committing to the church of the living God. Listen to me, parents. If the church is the place where you gather or the people with whom you gather when you don't have anything else going on in your life then what you've told your children is that everything else is a priority and the church is the thing that you fit into the margins. If, however, your calendar is reserved for gathering with your church family on Sunday mornings and everything else has to fit into the margins, then what you teach your children is that the church is the priority. For the people in Acts right here, gathering with the church was the priority. If it wasn't, they wouldn't be persecuting me, understand? There was not like, hey, I wonder if this James guy belongs to the church. No, they had it figured out. They cut his head off. And then who else could we find? How about that Peter guy? He's with them all the time too. As a matter of fact, he's teaching. We need to get him in here as well. And when they arrested Peter and killed James, what did the church do? It's a crazy thing. They got together anyway. Isn't that wild? When everything fell apart, what did they do? They ran closer to one another. How many friends do you have in your life that run in when the world runs out? The church of the living God is supposed to be the people that run in when everybody else has left. This is what the people in Acts did. This is what the church of Acts looked like. When life got hard, they got together. Listen to me. You need the church most when you desire it the least. You need the church most when you desire it the least. What are our priorities? First, be the church. The second thing is the church body. And, and, and by the way, again, as the church, you say, Craig, that sounds weird. I want to encourage you to be the church. The book of Revelation teaches us that it can be easy for us to forsake our first love. To forget who we're supposed to be. To have the appearance, the reputation of doing good things, but to just be empty tombs. Be the church. The second thing, preach the gospel. You know, there are a lot of things that the church can focus on. We can focus on social change, on political change, on community change. We can focus on marriages or music or senior adults. There are many good things but there's one message that must be central in everything. I had a friend who went to pastor a church some years ago. And at the church that he went to pastor, 
they had um, this huge Christmas program. And that Christmas program dominated everything the church did. Now, a lot of people felt like it was an amazing thing. They spent tens of thousands of dollars on this Christmas program every single year. But the Christmas program also handicapped the church from doing anything else. Because beginning in the middle of September, they began preparation for the Christmas program. And everything else in the church had to stop as they prepared for that. Nothing else could be scheduled. Because the Christmas program took precedent for a month. As they had many, multiple different showings of this Christmas program. And when it was all said and done, after a few years, what he began to realize is that nobody was coming to Christ. They were spending tens of thousands of dollars, countless hours, and people and volunteers. And nobody was coming to Jesus. Now, it gave them a great reputation in the community, but nobody was getting saved. Folks, if we're not careful as the church, we can be about all sorts of things. But here's what we've got to be about. We must never allow any other message to replace the gospel as the centerpiece of Christian worship. Now, it would seem easy enough, okay? But trust me on this. Any one of us, any one of us, me included, can fall prey to watching that vision drift away from the thing that matters most. We can develop our pet projects that we desire to be a centerpiece in the church. What might that look like? Right? How might that get really awkward, really difficult? If we stand up and and the church begins to be about one particular mission or one particular thing or one particular this or that, Angela and I were sitting and and, um, heard an announcement recently for an event that another church was doing. And I looked at her and I said, I wonder if that church is able to do anything else or if that one thing has begun to dominate everything the church does. Folks, we got to make sure that there's nothing that matters more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing. It's got to be our own going focus. Otherwise, we can allow the tail to start wagging the dog. Heaven forbid that the good things become God things and the gospel thing begins to be pushed to the the fringes. We've got to preach the gospel. The church in Acts preached the gospel. How do I know? Now look, there's no explicit mention of the gospel in Acts 12, 1 through 5. How do I know? Because what I know from the story of Acts over and over and over again is they preached the gospel and the church began to grow. And it continued to grow and grow and grow and grow. As a matter of fact, this is coming on the heels of Acts chapter 11 when we find out that they've preached the gospel so much that the grace of God has been so evident that in Antioch they started calling them names because they welcomed Paul in. The church has preached the gospel so much that it has expanded beyond Jerusalem. It's moving into Judea into Samaria, and to the other most parts of the world. That Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is being fulfilled in the early church because they are preaching the gospel. Why was James uh, killed and Peter imprisoned? Because they preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. And folks, the gospel of Jesus Christ is intimidating to authoritarian governments. Why is the gospel intimidating to governments? Because the gospel teaches us that we need not fear death. And folks, when you can't intimidate somebody by threatening to kill them, you've lost all the power in the world. We've got the stories of the early apostles who were going to their 
or excuse me, the early martyrs who were going to their death singing hymns and praising the Lord Jesus because they were being counted worthy to suffer in his name. Imagine, you're the Roman government. You're trying to shut these people up by killing them and you hang them on a cross and they're telling people about Jesus. Things get a little bit crazy at that point. Well, so we got to preach the gospel. There's a lot of good things that we can be a part of. we got a trunk or treat coming up. I think that's what we're calling it this year, isn't it? Yeah, we got a trunk or treat coming up. That matters. Operation Christmas Child kicks off next Sunday, right? It's important. In a few, a few months or a month and a half, we'll be talking about Lottie Moon Christmas offering. That's important. Nothing matters more than the gospel. Nothing, 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 nothing. One of the most challenging things I have to do as pastor, is, to, is, is in all honesty, is to have everybody come to me with all their ideas and all their visions and all the things they're passionate about. And to juggle all those balls and to continually come back and say, well, that's important, but nothing matters more than the gospel. Nothing matters more than the gospel. Why do we preach every single Sunday? Because nothing matters more than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Preach the gospel. What's it look like? What are our priorities? Be the church. Preach the gospel. And finally this morning, pray and trust the Lord. Why did the church immediately turn to prayer? Because that's who they had been, right? That's who they had been. They were praying when the Holy Spirit showed up at Pentecost. They knew that prayer worked. James had been killed. Now, a different James gives us a great lesson that Pastor Buster's already read to us this morning. Now, we got a couple of James. The Bible gets a little confusing because some of these names run over top of each other. So we have a couple of different Jameses being referenced right here. So you got James, the brother of John. So you got John is in the Gospel of John and then the letters of John at the end of the New Testament. John wrote, um, also wrote the book of Revelation. So you have that guy, and his brother was named James. Collectively, they were known as the Sons of Thunder. Apparently, they were loud and boisterous. I don't know exactly what that means, but that's who they were, right? Um, so that's James and John. That's the James that got killed, James the brother of John. James, who wrote the book of James, is actually James the brother of Jesus. He's a different James. But in James chapter 5, verse 16, as Pastor Buster's referenced this morning already, James teaches, and he was teaching this to the early church, that the prayer of a righteous person is, is powerful. It has great powers. It's working. I have so much trouble with that because I memorized it in the King James way back in the day. And now when I try to say it in anything else, all the ferventness and effectiveness and everything tries to spill out of me. But it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is what the early church knew and this is what we need to know today. Listen to me. Don't wait for a crisis to push you to your knees. Pray today. Why? We're talking about priorities. If as a church body we aren't prioritizing prayer, then what in the world are we doing? We're told over and over and over again to pray without ceasing. Pray at all times. The model of the early church is that they were praying and as they prayed, the Holy Spirit showed up. The model of the early church is that they prayed and as they prayed, crazy things happened like chains fall off of prisoners. The dead come back to life. In this chapter in James chapter 5 where he gives us the reference I just mentioned, he says if you're sick, let somebody lay hands on you and pray. There's a belief there. There's a confidence in the Word of God that the church praying can bring about amazing things. As a church, we've got to be praying. But, but folks, individually, if you aren't prioritizing prayer in the good times, listen to me, you won't prioritize it in the bad times. 
The bad times happen. You'll make excuses. You'll explain it away. Here's the other thing that will happen. If you're not praying in the good times and the bad times happen, there's many of you who will feel so guilty about the fact that you've not been going to the Lord in the good times that when the bad times come, you will run from Him. You'll look a lot like Peter who ran away and then just kept on running, went back fishing. Folks, listen to me. Pray in the good times so that you'll know where to turn in the bad times. But let me give you this word just real quickly. If you haven't been praying and you find yourself in the midst of one of those hard times today, do not allow your shame to drive you from Jesus. It doesn't matter where you were yesterday. He will take you today. The Bible says, so Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer. It's one of those words we don't use very often anymore. It's kind of fallen out of vogue. Earnest, soul-crushing prayer. Some of you know what it's like to find yourself in such a dire place that you've prayed earnestly. That your prayers to the Lord have robbed you of sleep. That you've cried out day and night to the Lord. Folks, you know that He wants to hear your prayers. He wants to hear your prayers. It's not just that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. When we go to the Lord in prayer, what we're saying to Him is that we are needy and you are great and we trust you. Oh, some of you don't pray because you're afraid that if you start praying and you get too serious about it, the Lord might call you to something you don't want to do. Heard Adrian Rogers preaching about this just yesterday. I appreciate what he had to say. He said, so many people refuse to pray for God's will in their life because you're afraid of God's will. And I love the way that Adrian Rogers explained. He said, how many of you have ever had a scenario where your, your son came to you? And he said, Dad, I just love you so much. And I think you're so smart and wise. And all I really want to know is what it is that you would have me to do so that I can serve you and make you happy. Now, I know that doesn't happen in your home. In the pastor's home, though. It doesn't happen either. Um, but imagine. Only the most evil among us would say, Aha, I finally got him right where I want him. Can you please go and clean out the septic tank today, son? No. If your son came to you, your daughter, she said, Dad, Mom, I've grown to understand, to believe that you just love me so much. And it's taken me a while to get there, but I, I realize that, that you actually know what's good for me. I want to make you happy today. That, Mom, if you'll just tell me what it is, and, and, and if you'll show me how to do it, if you'll walk with me, I want to do it. Man, you'd cut back flips, wouldn't you? 
We would just celebrate. We'd be so thankful for a church family because we'd be calling them all. Our prayers have been answered, right? Y'all, you don't know what just happened in my house. I can't believe it. And it might even be that in that moment that you were just so overwhelmed with joy that you just looked at your spouse. You said, remember, like two weeks ago when they were wanting this thing and we were like, I don't think they're grown up enough or mature enough. I don't, I don't know that we want to do that. You can look at them and go, I want to celebrate their decision. Let's go and let's just do this for them. We want it. Some of you are praying because you're afraid of the Lord because you've forgotten that He is a good Heavenly Father who loves you. And His will for you is a good thing. Is it safe? Maybe not. But half of the fun things in life aren't safe. Is it perfect and is it right? Does it bring joy? Absolutely. You're not prioritizing prayer in your life because you don't have a right view and understanding of who He is. You're still afraid that He's up there with lightning bolts ready to strike you down. But instead, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. This is the God that we serve. We should be prioritizing prayer in the good times so that when the bad times come, we know who to call. We know where to turn. Pray and trust the Lord. That's what the church is supposed to be. That's what our priorities are supposed to be. What happens? We're probably not going to experience government persecution. There's a strong likelihood that nobody's going to come in that door one Sunday morning, pick me up and carry me out and behead me on the front lawn. But we might not always be celebrated for following Christ. We might. There may be times when it gets to be challenging. And when that happens, we could stand up here and we could preach against the government. We could protest. We could rally. Or we could focus first on doing the very thing that the church in Acts did. Preaching the gospel. Gathering together as the church. Then praying and trusting the Lord. Matter of fact, in other words, what did they do? They did the same thing when things got bad that they had been doing when things were really good. See, when our priorities are in proper order. We don't have to change things when our circumstances change. Because being a faithful, healthy church of the living God right here at Malvern Hill is going to look pretty much the same regardless of what's happening. You know, sometimes it can be just as difficult, sometimes even more difficult to honor the Lord and celebrate Him when life is good but folks, we got to be the same people when life's good and when it's bad. we got to be the church. we got to preach the gospel. we got to pray and trust the Lord. But I ask you this morning, what is your priority? We're talking about the priorities of the church. What is your priority? Is it Christ? Is it?
Is it Christ? There's some of you here today who have prioritized everything else in your life except Jesus up to this point in time. I want you to know that He stands ready to forgive you, to heal you, and to save you today. You say, Craig, you don't know where I've been. You don't know where I was just yesterday. Here's what I want you to know. I know where He's been. To the cross and the grave and back again. And because He's been there, He's not worried about where you've been. Thief on the cross said, Lord, will you remember me? He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Right now. We're on the way. You say, Craig, you don't know where I've been. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter. Jesus is ready to get you on the way to where he wants you to be. Some of you haven't prioritized him. And right now there's something whispering in you, your own flesh. Maybe the devil himself saying God would never take you. He knows who you are. Listen to me. He knows exactly who you are. But he's a lot more concerned with who he can make you to be. He's a lot more concerned with where he can take you. And who you are matters a whole lot less than who he is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this. That we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But Jesus Christ died a sinner's death so that we might live. Today, if you've never prioritized the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never made Him a priority, if He's never been the Lord of your life, I want to invite you today, in just a minute, when we stand to sing, to come forward, to just not worry about what anybody else might think. You know what people in this place are going to think? They're going to think, praise the Lord, somebody has come. Because just like the angels in heaven will celebrate when a sinner is saved, the people in this building will celebrate. Some of you haven't prioritized Jesus. And today needs to be the day. But here's the other thing this morning. As we consider the priority of the church and what the church should be. There was a specific purpose behind the church's prayer in Acts chapter 12. One of theirs was dead. And another was imprisoned. And they were praying for Peter who was in prison. As we consider the priority of the church today, none of our leaders have been in prison because of their faith. But listen to me. Many of you today have friends and loved ones who are imprisoned by their sin, by their addictions, by their lifestyles, by their choices. Some of you in here today feel that you're imprisoned by your job situation. Some of you, heaven forbid, feel that you're imprisoned by your marriage. You don't know where to turn. Some of you have children who are imprisoned to their choices. The Bible says, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The Bible says 
that the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Where are your priorities? Church, where are our priorities? Some of you need to find yourself this morning as we sing. Not standing in praise, but bowing in prayer. Making earnest prayer for your loved ones who are in prison. Earnest prayer. That the Lord would deliver them. That the Lord would rescue them. Next week we're going to see that God sent an angel to rescue Peter. The same God who can rescue Peter from an earthly prison can rescue your loved ones from a spiritual prison. So this morning as we stand and sing, I want to invite you I I want to invite you to come this morning and to bow around this stage. For us to pray together for our friends and loved ones who are imprisoned by their sin. For us to pray earnest prayers that God would deliver them. Why would the church pray so earnestly? James was dead and they were fearful that Peter was on his way. And they prayed, Lord, deliver them. Folks, you have friends and loved ones. You have children and grandchildren, parents, aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters, friends at school and friends at work who are on their way to certain death separated from a holy God. They need you to pray. As we stand and sing, I want you to come pray. But again, I remind you that some of you here today are imprisoned. I've been waiting this whole sermon to tell you this. I've already prayed for you. I prayed for you last night. I prayed for you this morning. There's some of you here today who are imprisoned. And I've prayed for the Lord to set you free. To rescue you. You've been prayed for. So I ask you today. Will you step out of that prison cell. And come today. And receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You say pastor I'm not sure I even know what that means. That's okay. I'd love to introduce you to somebody who can walk with you from that place and show you the empty tomb where our Savior laid and the glorious God who died to set you free. Please come today. Please don't wait. Today can be the day of your salvation. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we give you praise and glory and honor. You are worthy. Lord God, I know that there are people here today who are imprisoned by their sin.
by their lifestyle. Lord, some are imprisoned by their materialism, by their greed. Lord God, some are imprisoned in the seat right now by their own sense of pride. Father God, today I pray that you would break the bonds, set them free. And Father God, I pray that you would also drive followers of Jesus today to their knees. Father, we got loved ones that need you. May we be found faithful as a church body, praying for you to deliver our community and our family and our friends from the domain of darkness to set their feet into the kingdom of the beloved Son of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand with us as we sing.